Heavenly Father, this topic is one which affects all of us and is a very emotive topic by its very nature. Please help us as we think about this together this morning and reflect on the wisdom of your word to see the issue in clearer light and also to see how in the the midst of situations when we are feeling angry, how we can respond in a more godly and appropriate and Christ-like way. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Timothy Mann was driving to his local shops with his wife and son when a ute cut in front of them at a road junction. Uh, Both Timothy and the driver of the ute, uh, Donald Bell, flew into a rage and hurled obscenities at each other. When both cars stopped a few kilometers later, Timothy got out to confront Donald. The family begged him not to get out of the car because the other driver was clearly brandishing a gun. Seconds later, Donald shot Timothy point-blank in the head in front of his wife and son, and he died almost instantly. At first, Donald claimed self-defense, but eventually the guilt got to him, and two weeks later, he returned to the same scene of the crime, and he shot himself in the head. It's a true story, and it's a tragic story. It's an example of anger, road rage. Road rage is just one of many ways in which anger blights our lives and our society. And which of us are immune to anger? Which of us are not guilty at times of angry thoughts, angry words, and angry actions? And therefore, what we're looking at today is of great relevance to all of us. Let me give you a brief map of where we are going to go this morning. Uh, The basic point we're going to see is this. Anger is, by its very nature, destructive. Uh, Anger is a power with a purpose, and the purpose is this, to destroy things. That's what anger does by its very nature. And firstly, then, it means it is a dangerous power. And we're going to remind ourselves of the the harm that can come from anger, from inappropriate anger. But we're also then going to notice that it is not to say that anger is always a bad power. So secondly, we're going to look at anger in its pure form. Because anger can be a destructive power for a good purpose. And then thirdly, we're going to think about practically how we can wisely manage anger in our lives how we can harness its power for good and not for evil. So firstly, uh, anger is a dangerous power. Uh, By its very nature, it it is destructive. Its function is to destroy, to destroy things. Uh, Physiologically, what happens when we get angry is this. Uh, Our adrenal gland floods the body with stress hormones. Uh, Our heart rate increases, as does our blood pressure, and our respiration. And what anger is doing is this. It's preparing the body for action, either for flight or to fight. You could say, therefore, that uh, anger is the semtex of the soul because it has an explosive power. It stirs us up. It moves us to act, to respond. And therefore, we see evidence of its destructive work all around us. 
Firstly, uh, anger has the power to destroy our health. Uh, recurrent, unmanaged anger can lead to all sorts of health problems, high blood pressure, strokes, heart attacks, sickness, uh, depression, to name but a few. Secondly, anger has the power to destroy our relationships and our society. What do we do when we're angry? Often, we just lash out, don't we, with angry words or angry actions, and it can hurt others mortally. Anger can destroy marriages, it can destroy families, it can destroy friendships, it can destroy churches. Anger can lead to maiming and to death. And thirdly, anger has the power to destroy our wisdom. In the heat of the moment, we can say and do things which afterwards you think, did I really say that? Did I really do that? And we can live with a sense of regret of what anger has made us done. In the heat of the moment, wisdom has deserted us. Anger has made a fool of us. So, anger by its nature is destructive, and it's a power, a power with a purpose. That purpose is to destroy things, and we've seen it can be used in a negative way. It can destroy our health, our relationships, our society, and our wisdom. And as therefore we see all around us, anger is a great source of pain and suffering in our world. But we must not be too quick to say that all anger is wrong, because of course, not all anger is wrong. There is such a thing as pure anger, as righteous anger. And we see that, of course, perfectly displayed in God. The wrath of God, uh, his anger, his judgment, well, they're not very popular topics in our society today. If you get invited to a dinner party, and you try bringing that up uh, in polite dinner conversation, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get many more invites. It's just not the thing that people talk about. And consequently, as Christians we may feel sometimes a bit timid about the doctrine of God's wrath. But this morning, I want to show you this. Far from being an embarrassment for Christians, God's anger and His judgments actually are very good news. How can that be? Well, we've established that anger is a destructive power, and that is still true even in its purest form. You see, in a fallen world, there are some things that should be destroyed. God is good. God's creation is good. And therefore, anything that attacks the goodness of God or His creation must be stopped. Evil, uh, injustice, unrighteousness must be destroyed. And is there not something within each of us which calls for that? which calls for that destruction of evil, injustice, and unrighteousness. What do we see when we look in the Bible? Well, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament history, we see sin provoking a response in God. And it's a response of anger. Anger in response to evil, to sin. Jeremiah 11 verse 17 is just one of many examples. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have done evil and provoked me to anger by burning incense to Baal. 
what do we see when we then look at Jesus, the incarnate Son of God? Is there any difference in the response of Jesus to evil and to unrighteousness and injustice? Absolutely not. Exactly the same response. Remember Jesus, he enters the temple and he sees what's going on there. A commercialization of the worship. It's just full of money changers. They're just out to make a buck. How does he respond? He's pretty mad. He makes a whip and he drives them out there. He throws the tables over. He says, get out. He was angry. What about, how did he respond to the religious leaders? To their hypocrisy, their duplicity? There's one situation where he heals a man who has a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the leaders are looking for a way to trap him. And they twist God's word and they say, is it right for you to heal on the Sabbath? Aren't you breaking the Sabbath law? And Jesus saw their hearts. They were twisting God's word to a purpose for which it was not intended. They were being hypocrites. And he was angry with them. So anger is God's right response to things not being as they should be. In its pure form, anger is a power that is designed to destroy evil, injustice, and unrighteousness. And God's anger is good news. And it's good news for two reasons. Firstly, this. God's anger at evil and injustice shows that God loves us. And it's good news for a second reason. It also shows that God will act. His anger will evoke within him a response. He will act. He will not remain passive. Uh, So firstly, it shows that God loves us. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, It's a pithy insight, but it's worth restating. The opposite of love is not necessarily hate. That's a bit too simple. The opposite of love is actually indifference. It's interesting that many people in our society want to separate God's love from his his anger. They want a God of love, but not a God of wrath. But actually, the two go hand in hand. Love and wrath. You see, to have a God of love, but not wrath, is to have a God who is indifferent to evil and injustice. God's righteous anger is not opposed to his love. It actually flows out of his love. Uh, This connection comes across uh, very vividly in the 1996 film, uh, A Time to Kill. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a very good film. Uh, It was on the TV just recently. Uh, It stars uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Carl Lee Haley. Uh, Carl Lee is a black man uh, living in Canton, Mississippi in America. Uh, One day, his 10-year-old daughter, Tonya, is raped and brutalized by two white racist rednecks. Uh, The police find them shortly afterwards in a local bar bragging about what they did to Tanya. Uh, They are arrested. Her father, uh, Carl Lee, is understandably, he is distraught and enraged. Uh, He recalls a case one year prior when four white men raped a girl in similar circumstances in a nearby town and were acquitted. And he is determined that is not going to happen in his case with his daughter. And later, as the two accused men are taken to the courtroom, Carl Lee emerges from the basement with an assault rifle 
And he guns them both down and kills them on the spot. Uh, in true John Grisham style, the remainder of the film revolves around the drama of his subsequent court case. Will he be convicted of murder or not? Now, to debate the morality of taking the law into our own hands would be to miss the point here. The point we want to see is this. What sort of father would Carl Lee have been if he had not responded with anger in that situation? What sort of a father would he have been if he had responded with a shrug of the shoulders when told that awful news? You see, the opposite of love is not necessarily hate. That's too simple. The opposite of love is actually indifference. And so it is with God. God is angry at evil and injustice. And that anger shows us He cares. He loves us. He is not indifferent. And that is good news. But it doesn't just stop there. Because God's anger stirs him to act. To have action in response. And firstly, we see that in the present. You'll be familiar with that text in Romans chapter 1. Let's look at it again. Romans 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men. It's in the present tense. The wrath of God is being revealed. That is, now. In some way, it is happening now. And the rest of Romans chapter 1 goes on to describe how God's wrath works itself out now, at a general level, within the fabric of our world. Uh, God destroys evil by allowing evil to destroy itself. You see, evil carries within it the seeds of its own destruction. And God allows humanity to suffer the consequences of its own rebellious choices. We mess up our world and we suffer as a result. Now we need to say, of course, it's not the case that every personal tragedy or every personal misfortune is an act of God's anger relating to our individual behavior. That is not the case. Remember in Jesus' day, a tower collapses, many people are killed, and some people come to Jesus and they say, these people who died, is this an act of God? Were they more wicked than other people? What does Jesus say? No. No, he wasn't. No, they weren't. In the present, we don't see a perfect proportioning of God's anger to evil. Sometimes the righteous do suffer, and sometimes the unrighteous do prosper. And yet, the book of Romans lifts our sights and tells us more about God's anger. Because the book of Romans also tells us the day is coming when God's pure anger will be poured out in perfect proportion to the evil. At the final judgment, God's anger will move him to deliver perfect justice on that day. Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. On that day we'll see it. Righteous judgment, pure justice. 
the pouring out of anger perfectly in proportion to the evil. God's anger, which flows out of his love, drives him to act. And it moves him to act in judgment. But wonderfully, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just move him to act in judgment, but also to act in mercy. You see, it's interesting that it's not just God's love that takes him to the cross. It's also his anger. The two are inseparable. God's anger evokes within him a response, and the response is ultimately to send his son to the cross. You see, without the cross, the sinner and the sin are bound together by ropes which cannot be broken. And ultimately, the two, the sinner and the sin, will both be destroyed by God's anger in hell. There can be no separation and no distinction without the cross. But the wonderful news is this. Through the cross, God has devised a way to separate the sinner from the sin. On the cross, the anger of God is poured out on His Son. It's the dreadful cup of God's wrath that causes Jesus to cry out on the night before with anguish, my Lord, if there's any other way, then please show me, but not my will but yours. It's the desolating cup of God's wrath that draws the anguish cry from Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the terrifying cup of God's wrath that causes the earth to shake and that brings inky darkness at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And the wonder of the cross is this. God has found a way. God has found a way to separate the sinner from the sin. If you like, humanity's sin is put in the quarantine of His Son and it is destroyed there. On the cross, God designed a way to surgically strike the sin but to preserve the sinner from his wrath. Where does this leave all those people out there who haven't yet asked Christ to bear God's anger on their behalf? Tragically, the sinner and the sin are still bound together. Tragically, they still stand to face God's anger at his final judgment. And God's anger stirs him to act, and ultimately, he will act. And therefore, it again reminds us of the importance of sharing the gospel with others. To share the gospel with others is the greatest act of compassion and care. And for those of us who have asked Christ to bear God's anger on our behalf, wonderful implications follow. I don't want to sound glib about this, but God's judgment is ultimately good news. For it comforts us and it reassures us in the present. Because God's anger at sin stirs him to action, it means current injustices and evil, they won't drag on forever. It means that where we cannot get justice now, God will bring justice in his time. It means that when we feel the weight of sin and evil now, we know it will not always be. A day is coming when God will act to put all wrongs right. 
A day is coming when the world will be cleansed of everything that causes anger. In the renewed creation, there will be no more anger. And there, nothing will mar our enjoyment of the goodness of God and the goodness of God's creation. That is a wonderful end point to be looking forward to. And that gives us hope in the present. So, uh, just in brief summary, we've seen that anger is by nature a destructive power. Uh, its misuse destroys our health, our relationships, our wisdom. Yet when properly used, it is a power for good. It destroys evil and it destroys injustice. So therefore, finally and thirdly, how can we manage the power of anger wisely in our lives? This may seem like it's stating the obvious, but the first step in dealing wisely with our anger is to admit it, to recognize when we are angry. Sometimes people don't want to admit they're angry. Uh, Such an admission can be threatening, especially if their anger is directed at somebody they love or if they've been brought up to think that anger is always wrong. And consequently, some people will deny. They are angry. They will live in denial. It may be conscious or it may be unconscious. But denial ultimately will not protect that person from anger's destructive power. Because the point is this, the anger is still in the heart. It's still boiling away, whether they realize it or not. And over time, the anger will do its work. It will destroy. It will bring about pain and destruction. And it will manifest itself in different ways. So, the starting point of wisdom for dealing wisely with anger is being honest with ourselves when we are angry. And the second step in dealing wisely with our anger is to do this, to analyze it. We need to ask the question, hey, where is this anger coming from? Uh, what is motivating this anger? If you like, you could say we need to trace the wiring of our anger back to its source. We need to ask this question, is this righteous anger or is this unrighteous anger? Uh, Psalm 4, verse 4, which is actually quoted and picked up on in Ephesians 4, is very helpful. Look at Psalm 4. Uh, In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. You see what it's saying? In your anger, don't sin. Search your hearts. Analyze yourself. Where is this coming from? Now, I'm not saying that it is always easy or straightforward to to do this, uh, to be able to put our finger on exactly what is causing us anger. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's a very complex situation. And sometimes our emotions are very mixed, are they not? But nevertheless, it is often the case that we can see some big factor that is driving the anger. We can identify a source. And therefore, uh, I'd like to share with you maybe uh, some helpful diagnostic questions. Here's here's one. Is there something that I am defending? Uh, Or, to put it another way, what is so precious to me that I am prepared to lash out in order to protect it? Because sometimes when we trace the wiring of our anger back, 
what do we discover? We discover the idols of our hearts. We discover the things that we prize more than God. We discover the things which we think will ultimately bring us true happiness. We discover the things that we want to protect at all costs. And when these things are are threatened, what do we do? We get defensive and we get angry and we harness the power of anger, that destructive power, to place a protective shield around our idols. Often the results of such analysis can be a bit embarrassing. Our anger may be driven by the idol of our ego, of our pride, of our self-esteem, of our selfishness. Our anger may be kindled by an overgrown love for the idol of money or for alcohol. Our anger may be nurtured by an over-identifying with the idol of our work or career. And so the question is, is our anger righteous or unrighteous? If unrighteous, then the gospel calls us to do this, to admit it, to confess it, and to turn from it. We don't deny it, uh, rather we confess it to God and to others, to those who have been affected by our anger or who are causing our anger. The gospel calls us to acknowledge our failings and to ask for forgiveness. Uh, Parents, uh, you may find there are times when you are driven to distraction by your kids. You may find that you have an anger in yourself you did not realize you had. And kids can sometimes do that. They can drive you to distraction. They can drive you to say or do things which after you think, I shouldn't have said that. And I can see and I can admit to that in my own parenting. And yet the point is this. We need to confess it even to our kids. And the point is also this. To say to a child, hey, I'm sorry, that was wrong of me to be angry with you in that way. That's powerful because what are they seeing? They are seeing the gospel lived out. To see an adult, to see a parent apologizing to them and to acknowledge, they see true humility. They see the gospel in action. And that will go, well, that will make a deep impression on a child. And it will in turn move them to deal appropriately when they are angry, to be humble, to say, please forgive me. So, just one practical outworking of how we can respond in a, a positive way when we are angry. Righteous anger. Sometimes our, our anger is righteous and we need to deal with it uh, appropriately. Sometimes it is unrighteous and we need to deal with it in that way. Uh, let's think finally then about when our anger is righteous. If it's unrighteous, we should admit it, uh, confess it, sort it out. But if it is righteous, then what should we do? It's a startling statement, but in some situations, we actually have a moral duty to be angry. In the face of evil and injustice, love calls us to action, not to indifference. The question is, sometimes, are we angry enough about the things we should be angry about? It was the fourth century Christian uh, theologian, uh, John Christotham, who observed the following. 
He said this, and I quote, He that is angry without good cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is good cause also sins. It's quite insightful, isn't it? Quite deep. Sometimes we can be quite indifferent to the plight of others. Remember, the opposite of love is not just hate, but indifference. Maybe sometimes as a church we should express our anger at the injustices in the society around us, the mistreatment of asylum seekers or refugees. And if we find our anger is righteous, it is it's being driven by our rage at injustice and evil, we should find a way of expressing it. We should maybe support organizations that are helping and promoting the cause of the disadvantaged. Uh, we should sign up for petitions. We should write to our MP. We should get involved in Facebook campaigns. Whatever it be, we should not be passive. There are times when it is sinful not to be angry. And as we close, I want to look finally at two very practical ways uh, and two dangers, in fact, in expressing our anger. The two dangers of these are clamming up and blowing up. Uh, we saw them in the kids' talk. Let's just think about each of these in turn as we close. Firstly, uh, is that danger of clamming up uh, we may hold it inside. We may brood. We may nurse our anger. And we may give it harbour in our hearts. And there is great wisdom in promptly expressing the anger and in seeking resolution. Ephesians 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, in all of this, I recognize that uh, it's not quite as simple as that. Uh, I recognize there are different levels of anger. Uh, of course, on the one hand, there are those minor offenses in the everyday run of life. Uh, I'm insensitive to my wife or to my kids. I'm selfish. Uh, there's anger at that level, but there's also anger at a different level. Uh, there is that anger which comes from, from gross betrayals, from grievous injustices we suffer, those things which cut us very deeply. And I'm not trying to say that we treat all of those the same. The minor offences, hey, we can resolve those more quickly. They are more straightforward. They can be resolved maybe literally before the sun goes down. But I'm also acknowledging uh, those grievous sins which are committed against us, they're not quite so straightforward. And it may take more time and may eventually require the help of others from outside of the situation, even professional counsellors, for us to work through that anger. But either way, the same point stands. Resolution is needed. If we clam up, ultimately it will destroy us. If unresolved, the anger can damage our own spiritual, emotional, and even physical health. And if unresolved, anger can fracture a community. You've probably seen it yourself. Uh, sometimes, simmering resentments can remain hidden below the surface for years, causing people to cold shoulder other people. Uh, within a Christian community, it is to give the devil a foothold, because then the devil has the opportunity to break the unity of the Spirit. 
And so I would ask each of you this practical question. Is there some anger that you need to resolve with someone else here at church? Is there some resentments that you still hold in your heart, even for something said or done years ago? Can I encourage you, even now after many years, to express it, to resolve it, to sort it out, to not give Satan a foothold within our congregation? Please sort it out for your own benefit. Sort it out for the benefit of this Christian community. So the danger of blowing, uh, clamming up, finally, the danger of blowing up. When we have righteous anger which should be expressed, there is this danger that we can blow up. And the expression of uncontrolled anger can result in huge collateral damage in our anger it's all too easy to say and th- say or do things which afterwards we regret. Just let it all out. I mean, it's cathartic, isn't it? The, it does give us a release, the pent-up frustration. But it can cause, if it's uncontrolled in its expression, untold damage. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise man keeps himself under control. It was uh, Aristotle, the great philosopher, who said this. Anybody can become angry. Uh, That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and it is not easy. So on the one hand... Yes, we do need to resolve situations promptly, which make us angry. But on the other hand, we need to be slow to get angry. And there is great wisdom in balancing the two. James 1 verse 19. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I'm sure you've heard this practical advice before, but it also bears repeating. When we feel the anger rising, take a deep breath. When we feel the anger rising, maybe count to ten. One, two, I think you can count to ten. When we feel the anger rising, maybe just take time out. Excuse me a minute. Before expressing it. It is very difficult to do, but it is truly wise to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. We should speak, but to be slow to do it, to be controlled. (coughs) So, in our anger, let's not sin. It is a power, ultimately, which can be used in a good way, but it is also a power which can be incredibly destructive. And therefore, under God and with God's help, we need to channel that anger to confess it and to deal with it wisely and appropriately and in a godly way. Should we pray for God's help to do that? Heavenly Father, in many ways we do feel angry, and in many ways we acknowledge we don't handle it wisely or appropriately. We don't handle it in a godly way. 
Uh, please forgive us. And please help us to be wise in the way that we manage our anger. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be able to analyze its true source. Help us to be humble, uh, to surrender the idols of our hearts, which otherwise we're protecting, uh, for it to be used as a means for spiritual growth. And help us also uh, to trust on you more in the midst of an angry situation for the patience and the wisdom and the self-control to manage it in a way which is pleasing to you. We ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.